delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Two things. Number one, it would appear that God's kingdom on earth has been defeated. God's kingdom was the kingdom of Judah at the time, and Babylon has conquered the kingdom of Judah. Number two, it would appear that the God of Israel, and this is far more sinister, would seem to have been outdone by Satan. After all, articles from God's temple have ended up in the treasure house of Nebuchadnezzar's God, who was most likely some demon, if not Satan himself. But have a look at verse 2. And notice who it is that did the delivering up of Israel and the treasures of the temple of God. It was the Lord who did it. Nebuchadnezzar thought that his power and might were responsible for the victory, but it was the Lord who delivered up Israel. There are certain men in Zimbabwe who think that their power and their cleverness have prevailed, but little do they know that the Lord is in control. Satan thought he'd won a victory over God, but he hadn't. As we shall see, God was using this to further his plans and his purposes. Do you know that God uses the work of Satan to defeat and humiliate Satan? Daniel is about to tell us of two events that show this to be the case. God can use the work of demons to destroy the work of the Lord of demons, Satan himself. And this is what's, what we're going to see today. And in the process, we're going to learn three eternal truths that give us hope in times like these. Provided that, this is so important, provided that we believe these truths and allow these truths to shape the way we perceive things that are going on in Zimbabwe, and more importantly, to shape the way we live and the way we act. Let's turn to Nebuchadnezzar. He was the absolute monarch of the kingdom of Babylonia. What did that mean? This meant that he was the most powerful man in the world. In fact, only a handful of man, men in the history of the world have wielded the same power as Nebuchadnezzar. This is how Daniel described Nebuchadnezzar's power. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. Now listen to this. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. We're talking about a powerful man here. Wherever there are people living in the world, the known world, wherever there are beasts of the field and birds of the air living, Nebuchadnezzar is in charge of them. But he has a troubling dream. So he calls for an interpretation. But there's a catch. The magicians need to tell him what the dream was without him telling them. You see, he's a clever guy. He knows that anybody can make up an interpretation for a dream. But only a genuine prophet can tell what the dream was in the first place. And that's the sort of prophet that you can trust. What I'd like you to notice as the story progresses is how Nebuchadnezzar acts to serve his own interests 
but at the same time, he's actually serving the interests of God without even realizing it. And God has worked like this over and over again through the history of mankind. And he's going to continue to do it in the future, and he will do it in our nation, and he will do it in your life. So many people, these powerful men in Zimbabwe who think that they are the ones who are in control, actually, God will use them to serve his own purposes in our time and in our generation. So, Nebuchadnezzar hatches his plan to make sure that he won't be deceived, but he's actually inadvertently setting the stage for God to show his glory and his power and his truth. Now, let's, let's, let's pray this into being in our nation, that God would be using the events to set the stage for him to be glorified. So let's continue with the story. The astrologers answer the king. Verse 10, chapter 1. There's no one on earth who can do what the king asks. Actually, I think it might be chapter 2. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. But of course, God does live amongst his chosen ones. In this case, Daniel. Daniel goes and he seeks God, and God reveals the details and the interpretation of the dream to him. And Daniel is so delighted that he writes a song of praise to God. He says, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises them up. You know, in our nation, there are powerful men who think that they can be king makers. They can put figureheads, as it were, into positions of power, but they are the real king makers, the real power behind the throne. But let me tell you something today. It is God who is the real king maker. Yeah. He has the ultimate say about who ends up on the throne and who is off the throne. Now, why does Daniel's hymn contain these words of praise? Why is Daniel so chuffed? Why is he so excited? Well, it's because the dream reveals that God is in control of the kingdoms of man. How does the dream reveal this? Well, both Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar saw a statue which had a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, a belly and thigh of bronze, legs of iron, and feet of clay and iron mixed together. God then gives Daniel the interpretation of the dream, and he says that each component of the statue stands for a particular kingdom of man. And the dream predicts the rise and fall of these kingdoms. God was about to predict the next 700 years of world history. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? The kingdoms that would rise and fall, and that would hold sway over the nations of the earth. So can you see what happens here, what's happening here? God gives a dream to a pagan king. In all likelihood, he's serving Satan, some pagan god. And then the king insists that he'll only believe the interpretation of the dream if the interpreter gives him the details of the dream without being told. God then gives Daniel the details of the dream, thereby proving three things. One, that God is awesome. Two, that the dream came from God, and therefore that the interpretation also came from God, and it can be believed. Isn't that absolutely astounding? What, there's more. 
we now know from history that that dream accurately predicted the rise and fall of the Babylonian Empire, which is the head of gold, followed by the rise and fall of the Medo-Persian Empire, chest and arms of silver, the Greek Empire, the belly and thighs of bronze, and the Roman Empire, the legs of iron and the mixed feet. Here's another interesting thing. I don't know if you know this, but Daniel chapter 2 through to the end of chapter 7 is not written in Hebrew. There's only two sections of the Bible, of the Old Testament, that are not written in Hebrew. One is Job, and the other one is Daniel 2 through 7. It was written in Aramaic. Why was that? It's because Aramaic was an international language. It was spoken by all the many nations and people groups conquered by the Babylonians. In other words, everybody who lived on the face of the earth. So these chapters were written so that all the pagan nations conquered by the Babylonians would learn that God sets up kings and deposes them. And here's another remarkable fact. A part of Daniel was actually written by Nebuchadnezzar himself. I didn't realize that until I read this in detail. He writes, To the peoples, nations, and men of every language, who now can understand what's being written because it's written in Aramaic, all those people who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. Folks, this account was included in the Bible so that you would trust that God is sovereign over the kingdoms of the world. Yeah. Eternal truth number one. God controls the kingdoms of men. He is the kingmaker. Not some powerful person who controls the army or anybody else for that matter. God is the kingmaker. Question is, do you believe it? Question is, are you pinning your hope on that or on something else? Let's move on to the next eternal truth. As Daniel continues to describe Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He says, while you were watching, a rock was cut out but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed it. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were all, remember those all symbolized different kingdoms, were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. We look at that and we ask, well, what's that all about? The interpretation is in verse 44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. You notice something about that rock? It says it wasn't the work of human hands. In other words, it was divine. This was the rock of ages. This was the rock of our salvation. It was Jesus Christ. The dream records that the rock smashed into the legs of iron because Jesus was born during the time of the Roman Empire. Jesus, the rock, established the kingdom of God in the heart of every believer by dying on the cross. 
And God's kingdom will become a huge mountain that fills the entire earth and will crush the kingdoms of the earth to dust. Eternal truth number two. God has set up a kingdom that will last forever. Which kingdom are you trusting in? An earthly kingdom or a heavenly kingdom? A kingdom that will turn to dust or the kingdom that will pulverize every other kingdom into dust? Folks, we belong to a kingdom that will never be shaken. It will last forever. No other kingdom will prevail against it. The question is, do you believe it? The question is, are you pinning your hopes on this truth or not? Folks, these events caused Nebuchadnezzar to fall prostrate before Daniel. And this is what he said. He said, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. It's utterly staggering. The absolute monarch of the known world is falling prostrate before an ordinary member of his kingdom. This pagan autocrat is acknowledging there is a higher authority and that God is Lord over him. You know, I love this. I love the way God works. Satan thought that he had bested God by setting Nebuchadnezzar to conquer Judah and to take God's people into exile. But through these events, the glory of God and the truth about him get broadcast to the entire known world in a language that everybody can understand. Don't you love the way God works? He's just amazing. So, our God controls the kingdoms of man, and his kingdom will last forever. He set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And these were the truths that Nebuchadnezzar learned. But he had a short memory. In chapter 3, to turn there if you want in your Bible, we find him setting up a gold statue. This gold statue is 27 meters high. It's two and a half meters wide. Everyone is required to worship it. And if you don't worship the statue, you get thrown into a blazing furnace. We all know the story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to worship the statue. So then Nebuchadnezzar, once again, he's acting on a particular level, serving his own interests and his own ego. But of course, at another level, he's doing exactly what God's wanting him to do. He's setting up the stage for God to be glorified. Nebuchadnezzar throws down the gauntlet. Uh, at the end of verse 15 there, he says, If you do not worship the statue, you will be thrown into a blazing furnace. And now listen to this. Defying the God of all creation. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? In other words, I have the power of life and death over you. No God will be able to rescue you. And this man had a short memory. And so do we. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego reply in verse 16. Now listen to this reply, because it will remind you of something. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Where have we heard those words before? Jesus refused to defend himself before Pilate. Pilate says, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? I have the power of life and death over you. It's 
It's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar was saying. It's exactly what men in this nation are saying. They think that they have the power of life and death over the lives of ordinary citizens in Zimbabwe. What did Jesus answer? He said, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Pilate, Nebuchadnezzar, people in our nation, they only have the power of life and death because it has been delegated to them by God and they will be held to account one day for that power that they've been given. Jesus and the boys recognized this and they submitted to the higher authority. They knew. Nebuchadnezzar has only been delegated this authority. We're not going to listen to him. We will listen to the higher authority. Verse 17 and 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Jesus said, not my will, Father, but yours be done. Both Jesus and the boys were prepared to lay down their lives and to put their trust in God. And as we know, God did rescue Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar just can't believe his eyes when he sees four men walking around in the furnace. He jumps up in amazement to have a closer look. See, God rescued. He delivered the boys from the flames. And we'll talk about the fourth man in due course. So let's just reflect on what's happening here. Ask yourself, who was it that witnessed these events? If you look in the passage there, it tells us there are people who were worshipping the statue of gold. There were satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials. In other words, the entire leadership and civil service of the Babylonian Empire witnessed this. What was the significance of that? The significance of that, folks, was just, just think of um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were from a little kingdom called Judah. And they had been conquered by the Babylonians. Those three men, including Daniel, had been handpicked as being very competent, intelligent people. They had been trained up to get involved in the government of the Babylonian Empire. And the Babylonians did that everywhere that they conquered. So these people who were standing before the statue, they were representatives of every nation, people, tribe, and tongue on earth. And they saw the deliverance of God. Satan thought that he was getting the better of three powerful men in the Babylonian, three enemies of his in the Babylonian government. But in actual fact, this is what he ended up doing. What did the nations learn as a result? Just look at this. These are the words of Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel, the fourth person in the fire, and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
be cut to pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. Uh, you can tell that he was a, a pagan guy, pretty brutal. But look at this at the end. This is what the entire world learned. No other God can save in this way. Satan thought he was killing three influential enemies in the king's court. But in the process, God did an irrefutable miracle to the entire world. And he proved that no other God can save like the God of Israel. And I hope that you'll learn the same truth today. But you know, this means so much more to us, folks. Because we now know that the fourth man in the furnace was Jesus. And God used that deliverance through Jesus in order to point forward to the deliverance when Jesus died on the cross to save mankind. Eternal truth number three. God is a mighty saviour. Question is, do you believe this? Will you make this your hope? Or will you make your hope a person or a political party or an economic system ushered in by political change? Yes, God can deliver through these things, but will he? Don't put your hope in what you think is the means of deliverance. Put your trust in the deliverer. Jesus himself is with you in the furnace. I love those words from Isaiah where it says, when you walk through the waters, I will be with you and you won't be drowned. When you walk through the fire, I will be with you and you won't get burnt. It's not that God takes us out and over these things. He takes us through these things. Just like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They were in the furnace. But Jesus was with them and as a result they didn't get burnt. They didn't even come out smelling of smoke. Isn't that wonderful? God is an amazing deliverer. Let's get back to Nebuchadnezzar. He's no fool. He recognizes the marks of a true rescuer when he sees them and he makes that amazing declaration that we read just now. But once again, he's got a short memory. I'd encourage you to go on and read the rest of the story. There isn't time for it today. But God humbles him. He ends up losing his mind and believing that he's an animal. And for seven seasons, he ends up eating grass like a cow. God humbles him. God can humble powerful men in this nation as well. But folks, I just hope that you're getting the message today. Because if you're like me, you're, you're quite a lot like Nebuchadnezzar. Very quick to forget. And we don't want to be like that today. We need to hold on to the truth that God is sovereign over the affairs of this nation. But even more encouraging that we belong to the kingdom of God. God's kingdom used to intersect on earth with the kingdom of Israel. But now it intersects with the heart of every person that believes in Jesus. And that was made possible through, through Jesus' death on the cross. God's kingdom is growing. Do you remember how it was pictured in the dream? It's pictured as a rock, that was Jesus, that became a huge mountain that filled the whole earth. Now the Jews would have understood the symbolism because that mountain they immediately would have associated with Mount Zion. In other words, the mountain on which Jerusalem was placed, on the peak of which was the temple of God. And that temple, the altar within it, was the counterpart of God's throne room in heaven on earth. 
So that was where God had his throne. That was where he exercised his authority. But now, with the coming and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that throne is now in every one of our hearts. And that's why it's spreading out into the entire world. Because everywhere where there is a representative of the kingdom of God, God is enthroned. And it is growing, and it is growing to fill the whole earth. Let me tell you where it's going to end up. We find this in Revelation 11.15. It says, The kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. Folks, we know where it all ends. All earthly kingdoms will pass away. Only one kingdom will prevail. Only one kingdom will not be shaken. Only one kingdom is a sure foundation. And you can be sure of that because God is sovereign over the kingdoms of the earth. No power can stop this from happening. You can be sure because his kingdom will smash every other kingdom and endure forever. You can be sure because God is a mighty deliverer. He may not deliver us from the flames like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, but even if he doesn't, he will deliver us from eternal death and we are part of his eternal kingdom. I'd just like to bring this to a close now. At the start of the message, I said that we would learn three eternal truths that give us hope in times like these. Provided that we will put these truths into action, and provided that we will allow them to change our perspective. What are the three truths? There they are. God controls the kingdoms of men. God has set up a kingdom that will, ne- that will last forever. God is a mighty saviour. Folks, this is going to be a little bit uncomfortable. But I wonder whether we truly believe these truths. Here's what I think, just from observing myself. I think that most of us, number one, are looking for salvation in economic change which is brought in by political change. And now that things haven't turned out as we expected, we're tempted to lose faith in God's sovereignty and His ability to save. Can you relate to that? Number two, I think most of us want to belong to a prosperous earthly kingdom. Let's be honest. That's what we would like. And the fact that we belong to God's kingdom hardly crosses our minds. Because the whole time we're evaluating things in relation to what does this mean to me? What does this mean to my family? What does this mean to my security? What does this mean to my comfort, to my prosperity, to the success of my life and my business? And the fact that we are citizens of God's kingdom hardly crosses our minds. The fact that God is a kingdom which He wants to build here on earth through us is, I don't know, somewhere back there, at the back of the stage in terms of our yeah, thinking. And I want to tell you something of great value. And I'm going to do it for free. <laughs> Politicians will never give us the Zimbabwe that we want. But heaven forbid that we should get the Zimbabwe that we want. As the citizens of the kingdom of God, we should be longing for the Zimbabwe that God wants. Yeah, amen. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's so important. 
And here's the thing. Nobody else is responsible, responsible for building the Zimbabwe that God wants. Yeah. We are. We are responsible for building the Zimbabwe that God wants. That's what the members of God's kingdom are supposed to do. But most of the time, we allow ourselves to be buried alive by stress as we try to preserve our comforts and our securities. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, go and read this book a number of times this week. They are such inspiring men because they belong to a kingdom within a kingdom. They belong to God's kingdom, and even though there were just a few exiles in a foreign kingdom, and the most powerful earthly kingdom at that, they brought powerful change. Isn't that amazing? That's what they did. And you are members of a kingdom within a kingdom. The question is, do you know it? Are you living as though you are citizens of a different kingdom? Are you living according to the values of of that kingdom? Are you promoting God? You know, the amazing thing about the Zimbabwe is that there are representatives and ambassadors of the kingdom of God in every area and strata of society. There are members of the kingdom in politics. There are members of the kingdom in health. There are members of the kingdom in education. Everywhere in this nation, scattered throughout this nation, are ambassadors who wield the same power as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They just don't know it. Oh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just open our eyes to see the power and the influence that we have. School children, we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And as we live for that kingdom and take those values into the kingdom, into our places of work, wherever it is that we have influence, we will start changing this nation. And you can't tell me that what's happening in the prisons, for example, at the moment through Miracle Missions isn't going to have an impact on this nation. It is. And it's just simple members of the kingdom of God being obedient and doing what they're required to do. I love it. We've we've just, I I think we've probably had about 50 of those little ice cream containers come in this week so that prisoners will be able to store their food in it. People are responding. It's wonderful. And one of the things I've noticed in the last two months um, is that at, at the end of every month, Janet comes to me and she says, Ian, um, we've been able to pay these bills, but now our giving to Miracle Missions and to Shanduka Transformation Project, we, we, we're going to have to delay this payment a little bit, or we're going to have to pay this in stages. And, and there, there is no doubt that it, to a certain extent, the level of giving has gone down as we've approached the elections. And I'm, I'm wondering, what's the story behind that? Is it that we are afraid? Is it that we're holding back a little bit because we, we, we want to be safe? Whatever the story is, folks, it doesn't matter what's going on in our nation. We just need to be going all out for the kingdom of God. We need to see the work of, of Miracle Missions thriving because it's bringing about change in this nation. We need to see Shanduka Transformation Project thriving. Tens and Deirdre and what they're doing with the teenagers. If, if we can't make a difference and give the young people in this nation hope by presenting them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and some practical skills to be able to, to earn a living, then what hope is there for our nation? Yeah. Government's certainly not going to do it. Those men who control the army are certainly not going to do it. They don't care. I almost used a bad word. They don't, they don't care anything for the citizens of this nation. Yeah. We are the ones. 
that care for the citizens of this nation. Yeah. We need to we need to show that. And Lord and, and folks, this <laughs> this is just tremendously exciting. Yeah. You know we. We have got such a tremendous honor and such a tremendous privilege to be living in this nation at this time. And I'm encouraged because I, I have no doubt that, that God is at work, that there is a process of change that's happening, um, and we can see it. It may not be as fast as we like. It may not be exactly the way that we want it to happen, but the kingdom of God is advancing, and forceful men are laying hold of it, and, and, and men and women, and we need to be those men and women. Shall we pray? Oh, Father God, we thank you so much that you haven't put us on earth just to live for small, um, pathetic, unsatisfying dreams and plans and purposes. Lord, spare us from those. Oh, we just want to be here for your plans and your purposes. We want to be making a difference on this, on this earth. Holy Spirit, please give us a spirit of revelation. Open the eyes of our hearts so that we would understand the power which is available to us as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Lord, that we would go out and that we would move in that power. And that we would see the gospel being proclaimed. That we would see the fabric of society being mended. That we would see people being healed. Um, that we would see people being educated. That we would see people being taken care of. So that we can say to them along with the proclamation of the gospel, the kingdom of heaven has come close to you. Yeah. Will you respond? Do you want to become a member of the kingdom of light? Or will you continue in the dominion of darkness? And Lord, it's just so exciting. We thank you that you put us in such a place, in such a time as this. And we just look forward to seeing what you're going to do in and through us as a church. Um, we love you so much. Thank you for being the almighty deliverer. Thank you that every person who's put their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ will live forever with you in eternity. That's what, a, what a blessing to have given us that gift. Yeah. And Father, we just don't want to be selfish now. You brought us into close fellowship with you. We don't want it for our own comfort. We want to go out. We want to go out and, and make a difference where we are. Just take the freedom, the love, everything that's, that's available in Christ Jesus out to, the, to a world that needs it. Thank you for this time, Father God. We commit ourselves to you. We pray that, that every person would go out and be a great ambassador for the kingdom of God. Even if we're in exile in a foreign land, we just want to make a difference. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.